from the Univest Pea-Picking Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another short but sweet episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. Peas are one of the classic garden crops, but timing is beyond important. Whether you're growing Asian snow peas, southern snap peas, classic English shelling peas, you have to plant them on time if you want to enjoy those legendary June peas. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll learn you how to plant perfect peas. And of course, we will take lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and luminously lethargic lamentations. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you saying ho, 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 right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we are following this year's tradition of holding your gardening hands at the right time of year. We taught you how to take care of your sprouts and your seed starting uh, in plenty of time to do it. And this week, we're going to talk about planting your peas, um, snow peas, English shelling peas, sugar snap peas. Um, Timing is so essential. You really got to listen to this one, cats and kittens, and do what I say, and you'll be a pea-picking fool. And, of course, we're going to take lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Irene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Um, Can I ask you a question? Well, I have to ask you a couple questions first. Sure. Um, How are you doing? I'm good. Good. And where are you? I'm from uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. All right. What can we do you for, Irene? I just have a question about jujube branches. I'm very fortunate to get hold of some jujube branches. I have grafted some of it onto one of my ceilings, but I ran out of branches to graft on. Can I graft that branch onto apple trees or pear trees? I want to tell people who are scratching their heads, thinking that you're grafting branches onto a box of candies. Um, But jujubes are a real fruit, and boy, I wish I knew more about them. I think they're related to plums, and the original jujube candle, uh, candies, (laughs) back at the turn of the century, were actually candied jujube fruits and it's said the fruit is delicious and yada 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 but I mean it is probably the least planted fruit tree in our environment and yet our environment is perfect for growing jujubes now do you have an existing jujube plant I do I have a very small one but that one doesn't produce fruit 
and uh, I had it for a couple years. One of my friends has one that does produce uh, good fruits, and she gave me some branches. I put, I grafted two, and I run out branches to graft it on. Okay, so first of all, you grafted your two branches onto parts of an existing of, tree um, that is healthy but has not yet produced fruit. Yeah. When did you do this? A couple weeks ago, right in the freezing temperature. It would be better to wait until spring, especially if you're still friends with this person and you can get more branches then. When you try to graft in the winter, it's very complicated. Um, but okay. what shape are the branches that you still have in? Are they still nice and flexible? Um, some of them are still nice because the remaining branches, I dip some of them in a root tongue. I stick in a pot of dirt and put a plastic bag over, and you have these tiny little green leaves coming out. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. The best chance, uh, and are you an experienced grafter? No, I'm an amateur. Um, did you go online and get good grafting instructions? I just, yeah, I did. I just find, I find the same diameter of branches that I'm grafting onto as the branch that I have. And then the branch I'm trying to graft onto, I split it into a Y. And the one I'm trying to graft on it, I try to, you know, sharpen it with a point and right. just connect the two and put lots of tape on and a plastic bag over and pray. <laughs> All right. That's totally acceptable. I will tell you that if you do this, uh, do you have any idea what variety you had and what variety your friend had? No, I don't. I heard the Lee is the best one, but I have no idea which one, because they both were given to me. Okay. Um, it would be better if you could graft a different variety onto your existing plant, which sounds healthy. It's healthy. It was, um, it grown to be about eight feet. Good. From, uh, ceiling. All right. I cut it into my level. It's around five feet. All right. Nothing wrong with pruning to reduce height and open up the center. You're, you're probably going to do much better with fresh cuttings in the spring. You want fresh cuttings in the spring. Then you want to graft them almost exactly the way you've described. Um, I'm not sure how you're using the plastic bags, but the traditional way would be to then wrap the graft with something like gauze, medical gauze, that breathes, um, and, uh -huh. keep, and keep that area moist. But you should be able to uh, do this. And have you tasted her jujubes? No. Really? She's from California. Oh, it's from California. And you're in Allen. Yeah. You, you know, this would be a great time to go out to California and hang around for a while and, and get some more branches. What part of California? Um, I think, yeah, near Loma Linda, north of Los Angeles. Okay. All right. One of the interesting things about jujubes is they can grow beautifully in almost any zone in the United States. So I'm That's not sure. What I was told. Yes, no, it's true, yeah. and it is an underutilized okay. plant. 
So I, I think it is worth your time uh, to make sure you two have a good relationship and to get fresh cuttings, soft wood cuttings, in the spring. Oh. And no, there's no guarantee that your cuttings aren't going to take, but it would be preferable if you could do it with fresh spring cuttings. And if you're really um, interested in doing this, there are many sources uh, for different varieties of jujube trees. And you may want to look at that and see maybe there's a different one that you might like. How do I find these sources? <laughs> I think you go to Google and you type in jujube trees. <laughs> okay. It's... But the, with the existing branches that I have, can I graft it into an apple tree or something? I don't want to waste them all. I would try to keep them alive until spring and then try it. How do you do that? Just soak them in water and wash them? No, you already said you um, you put some root tone on the roots and yeah. you potted them up and they're still alive. So why don't you do that with every single one of them and whatever one you get may grow into its own true tree. Okay. All right. Can I graft the extra onto an apple trees? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm not okay. sure of the relationship. You know, when you do this I kind see. of stuff, you generally want a professional rootstock. All right. Okay. We, we got to go. Thank you very much. Have a Th great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 888-492-9444. Heather, welcome to You Bet yeah. Your Garden. Thank you. Is this a lousy fortune? I mean, I, I like the ones... I'm, see, I like the ones that say you're going to find $20 on the sidewalk tomorrow at 5 o'clock. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Heather, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am just Ducky. Ducky is now using his mask as a scarf, and he can't wait till the water unfreezes. Of course, if we let Ducky out into the pond, that would be his final appearance, you know. So we probably won't do that, although I hear that increases ratings on uh, streaming shows, so we don't know. Watch yourself, Doc. All right, and where are you? I am in Rockvale, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes south of Nashville. Okay, you know, Heather, we are hearing from a lot of our Nashville and Memphis listeners. Are you? Yeah. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's pr it's, yeah, it's great. It's great to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being had. What can we do for you? All right. So I have got um, about a half acre of property. And on that property, we have got 23 mature hackberry trees. Mm-hmm. And with those beautiful trees are woolly aphids. Ooh. So, yeah. So we have actually kind of alternated over the last um, few years ordering ladybugs and green lacewings. That's a good thing to get started with. Um, aphid, okay. right? Latch on to aphid. Uh -huh. Of course, ladybugs and lacewings in reverse order, are the biggest predators of uh, mm -hmm. aphids. But you ain't got aphids. You got woolly no. aphids, which have evolved to have this 
waxy white surface that doesn't allow um, the aphid, the aphids, the uh, um, the beneficial insects to do their job. So oh. it's a nice idea, and in this case, the adjective is more important than the um, than the noun. Okay, how tall okay. are how tall are your hackberries? They're about 40 feet tall. And you want to keep them? Absolutely. Okay. We love them. Um, we're going to have to go sideways here. I don't know. To the best of my understanding, we have not yet identified a beneficial insect that, um, that battles uh, woolly aphids. The best treatment for woolly aphids, believe it or not, is a freezing cold winter. They'll all, okay, they'll, which we've definitely had. This well, you've had freezing cold. You've also had beach weather. Yes, we have that today. And, yeah, exactly. So I think it's the same as me on this date. You're going to have like this 74-degree day. You're going to be out there. And, oh, that winter wasn't that bad. And then tomorrow the Arctic blast comes down and brings us ice storms and four inches of snow. Yes, absolutely. So it, it, it's hard to say what a non-continuous cold spell would mean. Um, what I'm going to suggest, um, as soon, really right now would not be bad. Hire a landscaper and have them spray horticultural oil. Our best, okay. our best bet is to smother the pests. Now, if you can get this done while it's cold, you want to use a true dormant oil. That's a petroleum product. As we move into the warmer weather, you use a light summer spray. It's still oil, but it's a vegetable oil that's been highly refined, and it smothers them. That's what we're looking to do. We're smothering them. Okay. Are the trees mulched, fed, or anything else? Nope, they're just in the ground kind of as is, nothing around them. I think a couple of runs of horticultural oil, say a dormant oil spray soon, and a summer spray in like May, um, you'll certainly knock down their numbers tremendously. Okay. Okay, that sounds great. Um, And is that something that they spray, they'll actually cover the tree in? Correct. And it's okay, and it's organic. Fantastic. We don't like using pesticides, so that's great news. Yes. Well, this is this is technically a pesticide, but it's just not a nasty one. Okay. Awesome. And we've got it shouldn't affect any of the the other wildlife, birds, squirrels. No, like that's that. one of the nice things about it is all it does is smother insects that it lands on. Wonderful. All right. All right. Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Heather. We appreciate uh, all the people we have listening in that part of the world. Yeah, we love your show. Well, that's good. I love you guys, too. Keeps me um, <laughs> keeps me from panhandling under I-95, you know. <laughs> that's a good thing to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Sometimes you get a good day, you know. Well... <laughs> true you can always do it on the side yeah yeah you feel about it (laughs) all right heather Uh, thank you for calling and good luck with your woolly aphids 
Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there not to rush the season. Yes, it is time to plant peas lettuce, spring beets, radishes, and if you're brave, potatoes. But don't be deceived into planting tropical crops like tomatoes, peppers, melons, and eggplant. By the warm days, we have all been relishing because all of those glorious days in the 70s have been followed by an Arctic blast and snow and ice. But don't go calling Kate Bilo for the latest weather just yet, because we'll be right back with how to plant perfect peas and more of your perfect phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to an all-new and thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. Still getting used to that, kids. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, it is time to get your peas out. And this is not like dallying around time. You have to hit a certain window if you want to maximize your pre-pre- No, you can't get pre-peas, but you can maximize your pea production if you pay attention at the end of the show, which I urge you to. In the meantime, 888-492-9444. Derek, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky. (laughs) I'm out here in in, uh, Loveland, Colorado. Okay, you're an hour and a half north of Denver. I've spent a considerable amount of time in Colorado Springs and Cortez and Durango. Oh, man, that area is beautiful down in Durango, the southwest corner. Beautiful. Um, My question is about uh, raised bed soil, uh, like ratios or makeup. You know, all of Colorado is dry in my area. 
we only get about 15 inches of rain per year, and most of that is in the spring and um, the fall. Right. So not much in summer, if it, if any, you know. So um, I know that you recommend half compost, half topsoil, and, you know, a big bag of perlite for drainage. And, you know, most of your listeners are on the East Coast. And so I'm concerned with how dry it is here that that, you know, would essentially – how would you adjust it for here since it's so dry due to the water evaporation? Um, I'm wondering if the water retention of that makeup would be good enough. Um, what do you think? Would you change it or keep it the We're same? We're talking compost, which retains water mm-hmm. brilliantly. Um, topsoil, which might be a little heavy in rainy areas, but that's also going to retain water. And uh-huh. maybe your reluctance to use perlite is that it's increasing the drainage. But at the same time, if you were to take a microscope to perlite, you would see it's, it's like a honeycomb. And it's got all these little, oh, my God, what's the English muffin thing? Uh, nooks and crannies. <laughs> and... <laughs> once it once it's saturated, they absorb that, and then as the soil dries out, they give it back. So okay. I would not change the mix whatsoever. Now, can we talk about gray water? Sure. Have Have you done anything to recycle your bathtub water, your shower water, your kitchen sink water? Um, I have not. We actually, we just bought this house uh, maybe at the, at the beginning of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of like, we were getting some stuff uh, kind of fixed up first on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no, I haven't. But I would love to get a rain, a rain collection system, though. Okay. That'd be awesome. So, <clears throat> That's a really good idea. Okay. Rain is different than gray water. Gray water is water that oh, you're... Yes going to use a second time um it's perfectly acceptable to collect the final rinse from a washing machine um bathtub water Mm -hmm. um sink water not toilet water but you know or maybe (laughs) you know um and what you do is you get a rain barrel Mm -hmm. 55 gallon rain barrel and you okay. simply run this excess water into the barrel, and the spigot is always on, and the spigot is connected to drain t- uh, uh, sweat lines or something like that that oh, okay. distributes the water to the garden. Yeah, so would you essentially like set up like a somewhere where you could just dump it, and then you could like. I guess just dump it into the into the barrel, or like have somewhere like a sump pump or something. Or, well, um, I'm not sure of what the codes are, but if you don't tell anybody, oh. maybe you won't get ratted on. Um, it is very easy. <laughs> it you know, it's a can of corn to plumb the water from your um, bathtub or shower, for instance out into this what's the point of putting it down the drain but again the thing is the barrel has to be open all the time and the water has to be directed to the garden because in 24 hours gray water can become black water 
and you don't want to do that. Well, I mean, it, it is what it is. And I think it is yeah. now legal in Colorado for you to collect your rainwater. And that's easy peasy. Uh-huh. You just direct uh, your gutters into a different rain barrel. And with rainwater, you can control when you release it into the garden. Either way, make sure the barrels are up high, say a foot off the ground, um, so gravity mm-hmm. is on your side. You don't need a pump. Okay. But Yeah, th- that's what I was thinking. I was thinking mostly capturing uh, some rain whenever it does fall and then using that as much as I can, especially Be- since it's the best water for plants. Yes. Believe it or not, that used to be illegal until recently. Uh, the cattle ranchers. Really? Yeah, the cattle ranchers thought you were stealing their water that would have recharged the aquifer. But I think they've come to their mm. senses. Or if they haven't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'll be sure. <laughs> hey, and call my friends at the tourist office in Cortez. And they I think mm-hmm. they videotaped my performance there about all these different ways of water saving. Awesome. And or I'll tell them to, to bring me out again. I loved it. <laughs> I know, right? I'll I'll even tell our our local station. Maybe they can do that. That'd be awesome. All right. Good luck to you, and we got to go, and good luck to you. You live in a beautiful place. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, Mike. Crystal, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had. Um, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Um, I am doing well. Ready for spring. Ready for planting. Oh, yeah, if you're the only one, you know. <laughs> I had uh, a big order of seeds delivered to me yesterday, and I just clutched them to my chest like they were a baby. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that, too. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm not the only crazy person. Actually, I think everybody is crazy right now. If they're not, that's true. they're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> All right, Crystal, where are you? Um, I am in Shaler Township, Pennsylvania, which is just north of Pittsburgh. North of Pittsburgh. Wow. Um, what's what's your growing season? Uh, 20 days? No, I know the sunlight gets a bad rap, but it's the same as in Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, but the climate isn't. Um, how close are you to uh, Erie? Two hours. All right. What can we do for Crystal, who lives north? of the great city of Pittsburgh? Well, um, a couple of years ago, um, my husband and I bought a new house, mm-hmm. and um, it had a landscaped front yard, but it was all daylilies, and I'm not a huge fan of daylilies, so I dug them up and gave them away, mm-hmm. and then these little weeds started popping up, so I started pulling them out, mm-hmm. and then they started coming back, and I started pulling them out, and I was talking to a friend and she started discussing with me her obsession with a Japanese knotweed problem that she had in her yard. Right. And I quickly figured out that what I was looking at was baby Japanese knotweed, mm-hmm. which is very invasive. You think? Yeah. You couldn't <laughs> leave well enough alone. You had the pretty day lilies, and you replaced <laughs> them with Frankenstein's monster. Well, uh, I think they were under there. I think I just didn't see the babies because the daylilies were so big. Okay. Well, we have some interesting options. Um, now, how much—what okay. um, area 
is this? Is this a lawn? Is it a potential garden? Is it just there? So it is a a front hillside. Right. Um, Pittsburgh has a lot of hills. Uh, so our front, uh, the front of our house is a sloped front huh. yard. Um, huh. So it has plants on it. Right. Um, and I'm trying to keep less knotweed and more other plants. Good but luck. it's not a garden. Wow. That, now, now you're interesting. <laughs> Japanese knotweed spreads by underground rhizomes. Um, matter of fact, I wonder if my guy here says anything about it. I have a great book on the um, usefulness of so-called, what am I what are talking about? Knotweed. Kay, come on, McGrath. Knotweed, 138. Let's see what he says it's good for, first of all. Because a lot of these plants provide um, many benefits. And by the way, the name of the book is Wild Urban Plants of the Northeast by Peter Del Trici, and it is one of my favorite books. You have a couple of interesting options here, but the first thing I want to discuss is it's stabilizing the hillside. And oh. It, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, those rhizomes underground are holding everything in place. And they uh, prevent erosion. Uh, Japanese knotweed I, is, I believe, vaguely related to um, bamboo. And when they f the, yeah. f the first little sprouts come out of the ground, they're very edible. So yeah, I have actually heard that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, go to our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Click on you know answers to all your questions. And look up knotweed. It's been a while since I discussed it. It is impossible to remove, but it can be controlled. Yeah. What you want to do is get deep edging and nail and bang that in at the top of the plant system and prevent it from going further up. But you really want it there um, to stabilize that hillside. Um, it's a very useful plant in those situations. Otherwise, you know, I don't think you have enough sun to solarize the area. What does that mean? Uh, you cut everything down to the ground, you till it up, you soak it for 24 hours, you stretch clear plastic over top, and you let it cook for the entire summer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have enough sun for that. It's not a full sun area. No, you're not going to do it. But control the height with a machete, your partner will be thrilled. Put it in a nice box with ribbons and everything. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. she got me a machete. Oh, <laughs> I'm a happy man. Yeah, any, <laughs> any garden tool that involves a great risk of amputation, we love it. Oh, interesting. And how deep, like how, how big should this edging be? That's a good question. For that, I would like you to check our article and a different okay. extension articles that are just talking about the plant. And Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia is a great resource. Okay. But, but if you control right. it where it is, it's a very useful plant. And, you okay. know, because it does grow as tall as bamboo, you know, maybe it's providing some screening. Hmm. All right. Interesting. All right. Yeah. I, um, I, I will definitely 
start looking in those areas for my research. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. It's impossible to remove. So in situations like that, you find a way to make it useful. Okay. All right. Fantastic. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Great. Thank you so much. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Sam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Oh, I'm just Ducky. Ducky finally got to take his mask off. We brought out the Phillies bobblehead. So, yeah, I'm just Ducky. How about you? Well, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. I'm great, too. Beautiful day here in Louisville, Kentucky. I wanted to say that, uh, it's a great honor to finally get to speak with you. Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> it really is. Uh, if it wasn't for the callers, I'd be sitting here talking to myself. <laughs> All right. So All right. Louisville? Yes, Louisville. Okay. We spent a lot of time in Louisville when I was the editor of Organic Gardening Magazine. There was that big trade show there. What can we do <laughs> for you, Sam? Well, I uh, do a lot of container gardening gardening where I'm at, and um, at the end of the season, I pile a bunch of the containers up in the backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on the dirt, and um, I notice, like, the next year when I pull them out, you know, sometimes I will add, like, perlite and stuff back to it mm-hmm. to uh, use containers again, but they're filled with worms, so I'm sure that's fortifying the dirt. And I'm just curious to know what I can do with the dirt, if I'm doing the right thing, basically, um, to reuse it. Well, you're talking to somebody who has heirloom potting soil, also from the previous (laughs) century. And if you've got worms in your soil, that's going to change my answer completely. Because generally when when this comes up, I say, um, you know, get a wheelbarrow and pour your used potting soil into the wheelbarrow and then add about a third as much fresh potting soil compost and some perlite. But if you got worms in there, everybody's happy. So what I would do is reuse them as is. We don't want to hurt our little wormies. Um, Put your plants in them and then two inches of compost on the surface of the soil. And that should really, um, that should fortify everything. But I mean, you got free worm food, baby. Right, yeah. I didn't want to do too much. The the dirt seems kind of um, thick. I I think the worms are going to be um, hardy enough. Get a wheelbarrow, empty out all of your potted plants into the wheelbarrow, Add a bunch of perlite. You know how much I love perlite, baby. So yeah. <laughs> add, add a whole bunch of perlite and then, uh, you know, refill the pots. And then, like I said, after um, you put them out, uh, two inches of compost on the surface of the soil. Okay. And, yeah, that actually answered the second part of my question for the pots that I don't put in the backyard. What your recommendation for reusing that soil was, was without the worms? You have two options. If you have a garden bed that has gotten heavy over the year, you could empty mm. all your potting soil into um, a wheelbarrow, which is the easiest way to, you know, manipulate this stuff. And um, 
use it to lighten up a bed, just one bed, because we don't like tilling. But if there's one bed that has gotten obviously heavy over the years, um, do a little bit of double digging and really mix that, you know, with the uh, perlite in there. That should be good and just don't hurt any worms. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the advice over the last decade of listening to you. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and warn everyone out there not to buy bulk soil, topsoil, or compost, or allow a landscaper to layer your property with chipped-up pellets dyed in some ghastly color unknown to nature. But don't go reading our articles on bulk soils and wood mulch just yet, because we'll be right back to plant your priceless peas. I'm Priceless Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a few minutes, we will teach you how to enjoy those June peas that that big green guy is always trying to sell us. But before we take your phone call before that. Remember my 70th birthday when everybody had thought I had gone insane? Well, I had, but today is cheerful Charlie Sarah's birthday. And before I got into the studio today, the crew took Charlie out for lunch and brought me back a really nice package from um, the Chinese buffet. So you saw I just I just opened it up. So here we go. A smile is a curve that can get a lot of things straight. (laughs) All right, let's go to your phone calls. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. uh, Jim Hack Gardner from Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania here. Oh, okay. Well, Gilbertsville is up in our area, that's for sure. Can you offer me any advice to jumpstart a spring 2022 perennial garden without me having to spend a fortune purchasing expensive mature plants? Is there any way to get a head start by planting things in small pots now and keeping them inside until the chance of frost is gone? Why does it have to be in the spring? Because I didn't do it in the fall. Okay. Um, You realize right now, because of COVID and uncertainties about just about everything in our world, (laughs) uh, you know, plants are going to be hard to come by and they're going to be at their most expensive. It is the survival rate for plants that go in in the fall is much higher than anything that gets planted in the spring. You know, because the ground is cold. There's nothing you can do about that. We're still arching towards the maximum hours of sunlight. 
and you know it you're you're playing against yourself really um didn't you notice when you didn't buy the plants last fall that they had been reduced in price greatly uh this bright idea just took form probably in the new year here oh a resolution yeah something like that <laughs> i would say sit on your heels for several reasons one you you will you would have to heal the men and plant them later in the season in the meantime have you really picked out the type of plants you want yeah I, i've actually ordered a couple of uh cutoffs of hydrangea um ferns um i can't think of any of the other names this is all new to me so uh the names aren't at the tip of my tongue hydrangea cuttings not bare root plants they're they're little branches maybe i misspoke there um do they have roots yeah they're in a pot they have roots i just thought they might have been a cutting off another plant no, or no, something. No, 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 no. That's not how that's not how she works, Jim. And okay, and what was the other thing you mentioned? I've got a fern uh, I've started um Jim, I, I for- you can shovel snow off of ground. Get an icebreaker out there and drop the fern into the ground and it will thrive. <laughs> oh, okay. So you can put that puppy in the ground. And, you know, in the meantime, yes, keep it in a pot with potting soil and compost. And then, you know, do the same thing as, as tomatoes. Wait till the nights are reliably in the 50s. Because the soil takes a long time to warm up, whereby in the fall, it stays warm in, into Christmas. Right, right. So, you know, I, but I would still wait until at least May 15th, June 1st. If you've got them in pots and um, you give them a little natural plant food and keep them in part shade, uh, not full shade, not full sun, um, you won't lose a day, you know, because they weren't gonna grow in the cold ground you may be deceived by one of these amazing 70-degree days in the off-season, which are always followed by an Arctic blast. Right. We're not done yet with winter. Yeah. Right. And it, you're not, they're not going to grow any bigger. Matter of fact, they'll probably grow better if you wait till something like June to put them into the ground. Plant them no lower than they are in the pot. Uh, Make sure they're not buried. Don't mulch them with wood. Tell them how pretty they are, even though they're ragged little sticks. And um, you should do fine. Wait a a year or two more to see what they're going to look like then. Yep. No. Um, Put them, you know, keep them in their pots right now. Feed them a little bit. Um, Keep them outside in dappled sunlight. And then plant them in, say, September. You don't oh, want to keep, you don't keep want them to... in pots over the summer. No. Let's review. Um, they're in pots now. Right. They're going to stay in pots until June. And right. that way, if you get an Arctic blast, you can bring them inside. Okay? Right. 
in June, pick your spots, plant them without the pots, and make sure they're high up. If there's uh, got it too much dirt in the pot, scrape some of it off. And um, then they'll have the whole summer to grow. They won't have to fight cold soil. And that's it. And if you got room, go go plunder the sales at the end of the season. Yeah, at the end there, you said plant them in the fall, so you confused me a little bit. Well, again, but I got it. Yeah, fall planting is always the best. And I might have even said that. Um, but there's also no loss to planting them once um, once summer is here. Absolutely. Got it. I appreciate your advice, Mike. So, all uh, right. Take care, man. As the season advances, so shall the question of the week, which means that it is time for us to deliver top tips for lots of spring peas. I know you may not like the idea of putting anything in the ground this early in the season, but there is a very good reason to get peas planted before April 1st. They are called spring peas for a reason. Peas are not a summer crop. As soon as it gets hot, the vines will wither up and deport this mortal coil. If you wait until it seems a reasonable time to plant, your vines may shrivel and die just as the first peas are ready for picking. Get your seeds in the ground before April Fool's Day, and they'll have all of April and May to grow big and strong so you can be picking lots of peas all of June. Now, your basic pea picking options are sweet and crispy snow peas. Pick them while they're still nice and small and flat and enjoy them pod and all in salads and stir fries. These are my personal favorite type of pea. Southern favorite snap or sugar peas. Let the pods get a little fatter on the vine before picking. Then zip off and discard the strings and eat these sweet treats, pod and all, as well. And then, of course, you got your basic English garden or shelling peas, where you zip open the pod and just eat the tasty peas inside. However, even snow pea seeds won't germinate outside if the weather turns or stays frigid. So pre-sprout your seeds inside instead. You'll pick peas for six weeks this spring instead of just two days. Surround your seeds with slightly wet paper towels. Put them in a Ziploc bag, but don't seal it. And leave them out in the open at room temperature. The seeds should sprout in 48 hours. If it's nice and warm, plant them all. If it's cold outside, plant a few seeds for luck. Wait a few days for the weather to change and then plant the rest for intelligence. Dig a little trench next to a trellis, fence, or tall, thin sticks jammed into the ground so your vines will have something to climb. Add a tablespoon of wood ash per foot of row to sweeten the soil. Drop in those sprouted peas. Don't be afraid to crowd them to an inch apart. They love it. Cover with an inch of compost or seed-starting mix and water well. Then be brave. 
If a cold wave hits, it may be a while before those sprouts shoot through the surface of the soil, but they will. Water weekly if it don't rain. For food, shovel some nice, fresh, finished compost around the plants when they get to be about six inches tall. Water with compost tea every other week after that, or use a gentle, liquid, organic fertilizer. Now be sure to pick promptly when the peas start coming. The more you pick, the more you get. And the smaller they are, the sweeter they'll be. Okay, now for the advanced class. Get some pea and bean inoculant at the garden center or through a catalog and roll your seeds around in the flower-like stuff before you bury them. Bacteria in that powder will form a symbiotic relationship with your plants, enabling them to suck plant-feeding nitrogen right out of the air. This also works with, quote, string beans. In fact, these bacteria work their magic on all peas and beans and other podding legumes. It's way cool. Here's a great science experiment. Start some peas with and some without the inoculant in little containers on a windowsill. Pull a few up after a month or so. The inoculated plants should have little round growths on their roots, showing that bacteria and plant have become one better organism that's capable of feeding itself. If you miss the planting window this spring, do not plant late. These cool weather loving vines will just burn up in July. Instead, plan on putting in a full crop. A full crop? It may be a full crop, but it's gonna be a fall crop to me. Pick the coldest spot in your garden, i.e. afternoon shade. Put the seeds in the ground 90 days before your first expected frost date in the fall. Keep the young plants well watered and perhaps even cooled with some shade cloth or the shadow of taller plants like corn or tomatoes till summer's most torrid days are done. And think good thoughts. Remember, these plants like cool weather, so light frosts won't bother them a bit. Northerners can generally get a nice run of peas, lots if the frigid winter frosts hold off for a while, and you're out there every day picking. Picking peas every day is super important, same as with beans. And now, a word or 20 about the final height of your plants. Read catalog descriptions carefully. Most, maybe all snow peas have a bush style of growing, that only requires about two to three feet of support. The word container is also a good indication of petiteness. You like that? <laughs> snap, snap peas are variable, but most require at least five feet of support, which is good if you want to be picking the pods at a standing up height. English shelling peas are the tallest. Nine feet high is not unusual. I have a 10-foot high trellis that I bent in half, so they climb up one side and then tumble down the other. Above all else, refer to the final height on the seed packet or catalog description. If it isn't listed, look up the same variety on a different website. Oregon sugar peas and green arrow shelling peas are going to be the same height 
no matter where you get them. Well, that sure was a somewhat exhaustive look at pea planting, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my peas if we don't get out of this studio. I think we're out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, for the sake of what little sanity I have left, include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at that precious website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by George and Ira Gershwin with lyrics by David Geffen and Carol King. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Happy birthday today, the day we're taping, to Mr. Cheerful. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of beautiful pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots includes Zach Dittakwasneski, the long-lost Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, and Ace the Wonder Dog. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon is not our executive producer, is late for a meeting, and can't find his time. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and if the folks on the second floor keep not catching on, I'll see you again next week. What can you expect on the next episode of You Bet Your Garden? All we can tell you is to start stocking up on bells, white clothes, white scarves, and sticks. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next mysterious episode of You Bet Your Garden.